Everywhere you look, computers have transformed our world. On desktops, in our pockets, on our wrists or our washing machines, modern computers underpin the modern economy and have driven incredible economic and societal progress. So much so that it's hard to comprehend a world without them. Computers have become exponentially faster and more powerful since the first room-filling, general-purpose digital computers were cobbled together in the 1940s. But the principles behind the technology have remained the same. Today's high-tech devices rely, at root, on on-off one or zero binary bits to represent information. In just the same way as those first classical computers Alan Turing and his colleagues worked on at Bletchley Park. But that is beginning to change. Scientists say it's the technology that could revolutionise computing. It's called quantum computing. A quantum computer, it's a fundamentally new type of computer. The amazing part of quantum computing is that it can do things that no current computer can do. Revolutionising medicine, communication, encryption and artificial intelligence. Quantum computers, which harness the peculiar and counterintuitive properties of the quantum world, promise not just an incremental improvement in computing power, but a step change that could transform our world. Welcome to New Foundations, a podcast about innovation and social impact from Economist Impact. In this episode, we'll be asking what quantum computers might be capable of by looking at one promising area of its potential application, healthcare, and in particular, drug discovery and development. This podcast is supported by Pictay Wealth Management, and we thank them for their support. It's hard to avoid the excitement that surrounds quantum computing, and along with it, how it could revolutionise every part of our lives. But considering how much it is talked about, there's still a lot to get your head around when it comes to understanding how it differs from what we all use on a daily basis, and why that might matter. Quantum computing is a whole different approach to computing itself. I asked Dr. Shahini Ghost to explain, in the simplest terms possible, how quantum computers work. She's Professor of Physics and Computer Science at the Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Canada. So far, we've always been focused on current computing, which we call classical computing, which is everything can be based on combining zeros and ones, which we call the bits. But uh, turns out that's actually a very small part of the entire computing landscape that we could potentially be exploring. So obviously there are possibilities of being able to combine values that are not just zero and one. And in this case, in quantum computing, what we try to do is think about situations where we don't know exactly whether the binary system that we have, the bit, whether it's a zero or a one, a quantum bit has some probability of being a zero or a one. So that might seem like it's not very good for precision computing, but the way we like to think about it is that we're just expanding the landscape of where we can be doing computing beyond just two points, which are just zero and one, let's say, to a larger area where we can move between those 2.0 and 1 in such a way that there are multiple paths because each combination of some probability of being 0 or some probability of 1 corresponds to perhaps a different path. So when we have a lot more paths to travel, it's like being able to get from point A to point B in different ways and perhaps there are faster ways than what we knew before. So that is broadly what quantum computing is all about, a whole different expanded version of what we now use, which is very binary classical computing. By manipulating all possible states of quantum particles, 
Quantum computers can more efficiently and quickly perform many tasks that are extremely hard, indeed impossible, to perform with existing methods. This approach holds particular promise in crunching complex sums and modelling complex processes. To make this tangible, consider medicine and drug discovery. Today, the best way to identify new compounds and understand their effects is to synthesise them and run practical experiments. But what if we could simulate these molecules, their behaviour and their effects on the human body? Something currently too complex to do with classical computers. When we look at um, a molecule, let's say, of penicillin, and uh, zoom in on what its structure looks like. It's made up of a bunch of different atoms, um, and each of those atoms has a nucleus and electrons that orbit the nucleus, and each of those electrons has certain properties such as its energies and its charge and how it's talking to all the other electrons. So it quickly becomes uh, what we call a many-body problem, meaning there's so many individual electrons talking to protons and uh, you know other atoms and so on and so forth. However, on a classical computer, trying to calculate every single one of those uh, properties and interactions precisely would take an exponentially growing amount of memory and resources. On a quantum computer, however, each of those electrons could be mapped into what we call a quantum simulator, you know, which is basically one of the qubits or a, or a group of qubits, quantum bits in the computer. And that kind of mapping will be more efficient because those quantum bits are, in a sense, the right type of particles to encode that information because they too are quantum particles. So because we can do that kind of uh, mapping and description of those interactions more efficiently, we can actually start doing calculations of molecules that are, let's say, much larger than penicillin. And that's what quantum computers may be able to do much more efficiently than even our fastest supercomputers today. The promise of quantum computers in drug discovery is enormous. It could revolutionise a field that is facing an uphill battle. Despite major investments, major novelties, major breakthrough, developing a, a drug is still very expensive and very long. Robert Marino is the chief executive of Qubit Pharmaceuticals, a company developing software that will run on quantum computers. Marino's team have developed a drug discovery simulation platform designed to reduce the cost and length of preclinical drug development. We cannot afford to wait 10 years before a drug reaches the market. So one of the major challenges for the drug industry is, is acceleration of the whole process. And not only drug discovery, that is what we do at the very beginning of the process, but also optimizing the, each step. So that is the digitalization of the entire process. And when we mention digitalization, it means that there will be several complex mathematical operations to perform. It might be search um, in very large databases, some optimization, forecasts, etc. And all these computations are complex. Some problems are NP-hard. That means they cannot be solved on classic computers. Uh, and that's why quantum computers may solve major problems also for the pharma industry. So wherever there are complex math that cannot be solved on classic computing, people should look at what quantum computers could do or could help bringing for these problems. So how will you be uh, applying quantum computing? What's the, what's the goal you're working towards? Our business is starting from a, a target in the human body, so protein, RNA, etc., to be able to identify, generate, optimize, and validate a drug candidate 
so that then pharma or biotech companies will be able to bring that candidate through the different preclinical and clinical phases. So we have been able to identify in the entire workflow complex computations that are small enough to run on quantum computers within the next 5 to 10 years, complex enough that they cannot be accurately solved on classic computers, and also valuable enough that it justifies investing in R&D and using more complex and more expensive computer time than what exists today. And how, how are you going to be developing these applications without, in effect, a functioning quantum computer to run them on? Um, today, of course, we do 100% of our computation on classic computers because quantum computers are the, the ones that are available are prototypes. So we develop the software, they are ready, and whenever the machines, the quantum computers uh, are ready, the software will be deployed on them. Uh, so we start already to invest and we run our software on emulators. These emulators allow us to validate that the software are robust, that they perform the computation the way we want. And uh, for us, we are looking at the business impact. This podcast is supported by Pictet Wealth Management. Frederick De Crozet, head of macroeconomic research at Pictet, gives his view on the future of quantum computing. Quantum computing is at an early stage of development. It's a relatively small industry at this stage with total investment less than $2 billion in 2021, but it's growing exponentially. Quantum computing is a fast-growing technology which requires further innovation, further funding, both public and private, and a lot more needs to come in from both government and companies on this area. In turn, digital infrastructure will need to be adapted accordingly. Companies will need to review their processes, databases, and security processes. Quantum computing should make a number of industrial and technological processes more efficient by solving very complex optimization problems, but also in some cases solving some previously intractable problems. Artificial intelligence, machine learning are among the well-known use cases, providing faster automation and what is called exponential speed-up over conventional computers. Once an industry has fully integrated quantum computing, it will dramatically improve research and development, production, supply chain, but also, crucially, make these processes more sustainable. That was Frederick Ducrozet of Pictet Wealth Management. Quantum computers are vastly different to today's computers. But like the earliest machines of the Bletchley Park era, early quantum computer prototypes are being built in enormous dedicated rooms, the scale of which is not too dissimilar to those early experiments. So what you're looking at here is a cryostat. This is a system that we use to cool our chips and systems to uh, 4 Kelvin or so. That's around minus 270 Celsius. It's roughly the temperature of deep space. If you look around the lab here, you'll also see a larger number of cryostats um, with somewhat less cooling power, which our engineers can use to test small prototype devices and chips and validate that they function as expected in this extreme environment. Keeping a quantum computer running is not an easy task. 
Some early machines currently look like expensive steampunk chandeliers, housed in giant cases equipped with matching pumps to keep it cool. It's an elaborate setup just to keep the core machinery free from magnetic, thermal or electrical interference. It's still some way from competing with the portability of a smartphone, and practically speaking, likely never will be. But the advance of quantum computing is following a similar path. Quantum computing today is at the stage where conventional computing was in the very early days. This is Pete Shadbolt, co-founder of SciQuantum, a company with ambitions to build the world's first commercially usable quantum computer. A large fraction of high-performance computing time today is used to try to calculate properties of molecules. And of course, calculating properties of molecules is something that you want to do when you are looking for new drugs. And designing new drugs and bringing them to market is extraordinarily expensive and very, very prone to failure. And part of the reason for that is that conventional computers have a really hard time simulating these molecules accurately. And so this is an area where there's a lot of excitement uh, for the potential of quantum computing. And PsyQuantum is working with a number of pharmaceutical companies, and we are looking at um, specific molecules, specific drugs. Right now, we're predominantly looking at drugs that are already well understood because we want to kind of validate uh, the approach that we're taking. And we are basically calculating the prospects for simulating certain characteristics of those molecules on a large-scale fault-tolerant quantum computer of the type that we're building, with the expectation then that once we have confidence in our ability to predict the properties of these known molecules, we should be able to then extend that into a space of you know, future drugs, future molecules that uh, cannot be explored uh, efficiently using conventional computers. So, yeah, we're looking at, um, for instance, uh, an antiparasitic drug at the moment. Uh, we are looking at a number of different molecules, and it's, yeah, really, really exciting to see not only the sort of uh, engagement, but also the increasing technical sophistication around quantum computing from our counterparts in these drug companies. Although the true potential of quantum computers will take time to fully materialise, the possibilities for their use, well beyond just healthcare, are truly endless. From designing powerful new materials to changing the way banks manage risk, from fighting climate change to uncovering the secrets of the universe. Just as it would have been impossible to foresee the evolution and application of classical computers from the early days of their development, it's hard to predict now where quantum research will lead. But it still remains heavily theoretical. Dr. Shahani Ghosh again. We are at a point where the, the existing quantum computers are prototypes, which are, you know, barely functioning in the sense that there's a lot of errors in their operations, they take a lot of controls, entire room full of machinery and, and electronics and cooling systems are required just to make you know very, very small processes work at all. So no computer, no quantum computer in the world today has done any problem that cannot be done on a regular computer so far. So how do we go from our position now to fully operational? What's the biggest challenge? There are many challenges, but I think the the one that is most, uh, I'd say the most pressing, but also probably the biggest barrier is to be able to address this question of errors. All, all computers have errors, including our current computers. And so all of our uh, devices are constantly doing error correction in the background. 
To do error correction on a quantum computer is, is even more challenging because the information itself is very fragile and even the tiniest kind of disturbance from the surroundings or the environment or heat or noise of any kind can absolutely destroy all of the quantum information. So to keep the system completely isolated is almost impossible. Therefore, you assume that there are errors and we have to correct them. And nobody has actually been able to implement large-scale error correction to build these efficient uh, quantum computers that are robust for the future. So this is why the, the challenges are basically open challenges that will require engineering, but per perhaps even some new types of approaches to, you know, how do you design and, and build good protocols for error correction. And besides that, we, we know in principle that these machines would work if they could be built, but there is no real um, way to predict what kind of, for example, energy requirements they would take. Um, and currently, of course, they are. that's not a focus because researchers and companies are focusing on whether they would work at all, even if it t takes a lot of energy. If there are certain problems that they can solve that are really important for humanity, then perhaps we should spend the, the you know required amount of resources and energy to make it happen. But in the long term, large-scale quantum computers, we'd have to solve the energy problem, we'd have to solve the error correction problem, and then think about how it can be scaled to be really robust and efficient. And we're a long way from there. I don't know, perhaps 10 years, perhaps 20 years, but there's a lot of excitement and activity as well. So who knows? Humans are quite ingenious. Mankind has never been put off by a challenge, especially the scientific community. The huge potential of unlocking nature's secrets and understanding problems that could only be dreamed of are what excites those involved. Here is Pete Shadbolt again. Quantum computing has this kind of astronomical potential and huge teams around the world are spending a huge amount of time and money trying to bring this technology to light. But today is the fact that nobody has a quantum computer that is really solving these types of dream problems uh, that can't be solved any other way. Uh, and that is because nobody has been successful in building a big enough, a high quality enough quantum computer. Psyquantum uh, was founded in 2015, and we have been exclusively focused on building a very large error-corrected quantum computer. And by very large, I mean on the order of a million physical qubits. And so just to, just to put that number in context, it's thought that you need around 100 working qubits for a functioning computer, but there's so much noise basically that you need around a million to end up with a, 100 functioning ones uh, to correct for for errors. So you're shooting for a million qubits within just a few years. And by contrast, Google's much celebrated breakthrough in quantum computing uh, back in 2019 demonstrated a machine running on, on 53. So one million sounds ambitious. How, how does PsyQuantum think it's going to achieve this? PsyQuantum's approach to uh, shortcutting uh, the roadmap to such a large machine has been to recognize that over the last 50 years, something like a trillion dollars has been invested into the semiconductor industry. And by that mechanism, you now have a billion transistors in your pocket, each of which does a billion things a second. And this is a science fiction-like manufacturing capability that, in my view, is the pinnacle of human achievement on this planet. And PsyQuantum's approach is to go and build the quantum computer in a laptop factory, basically. We want to leverage 
that incredible investment. We want to build our qubits on silicon using conventional silicon manufacturing techniques. And it gives me great pleasure to say that we are now doing that. So as of a couple of years ago, we have been building quantum chips in the production line of a tier one semiconductor foundry. So the same uh, very rare, very capable fabs that build your laptop and your cell phone. We're building chips in those production lines, shoulder to shoulder with consumer electronics. And that leverage is uh, really the mechanism by which we think we're going to go very fast uh, to that large-scale error-corrected machine. But all this isn't to say classical computing as we know it will become obsolete. Robert Marino from Qubit Pharmaceuticals. What we think is that um, there will be no hard switch between classic and quantum computing. They will both evolve in parallel. And uh, the key is to be able to develop hybrid classic quantum computing infrastructure. And even more than that, HPC, so high performance computing, quantum computing together. So I think we will see a lot of surprises in the future because now people are really investigating uh, quantum algorithmics, quantum optimization, error correction, etc. on the algorithmic side. And um, yeah, we can expect uh, nice, interesting results and good surprises in the near future. I hope so. Pete Shadbolt again. What we do today with conventional computers in simulating material science, physics, chemistry, which of course are the substrate of our advanced society, what we do today is extraordinarily primitive. It's extraordinarily limited. The size of molecules and the precision with which we can simulate them uh, is very, very far from what we would like. And quantum computing has the potential to really put us into a totally different regime in terms of being able to design and predict the properties of molecules, materials, physics, chemistry in silico without having to do huge amounts of trial and error for chemistry, for physics, for material science, etc. That is it for this episode of New Foundations. If you liked what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks again to Pictay Wealth Management for their support. You can find out more about the series, as well as articles and further reading, at impact.economist.com forward slash new foundations.